You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh continues with week eight of our series through the Ten Commandments and preaches on the command, don't steal. As we listen, may the Holy Spirit work in us to accomplish whatever he wants to do in us today. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to uh, Exodus chapter 20? Exodus 20 will be the, the first of our many texts today. Exodus 20, verse 15. You just heard it absolutely beautifully read. Great job this morning. Can you believe it? We are in week eight of this 10 week series on the Ten Commandments. I've loved this series so far. I've loved studying it. I've loved meditating on it. I've loved, to some degree, even applying it. Uh, but just for, uh, as a way of quick reminder, for those who may need it, and maybe you need a little more time to find Exodus chapter 20, uh, let me give you that reminder right now. God has just rescued his people in a miraculous way out of Egypt. They had spent 400 years there. Uh, under the, the rule of uh, Egyptian slavery, and, and God in his grace sends a messenger in Moses to deliver the people. Uh, the people are delivered after the ten signs and wonders, and, and by that, Pharaoh then's heart is broken, and he says, go ahead and leave. And so all the people of, of Israel, all the Hebrew people, leave Egypt, and they are heading towards the land of promise. Uh, they, they, in theory, should have made it, um, even if it were, there's some uh, very conservative estimates of how many people left Egypt that day. Uh, maybe around a million would be conservative. Maybe, maybe a more liberal number would be somewhere around three million people. Regardless, a lot of people left Egypt going towards the promised land. If they would have walked in a straight line from where they were to where they were going, should have taken about two weeks tops. How long did it take them to get there? 40 years, their GPS was absolutely broken. With that, God was doing something in the wilderness. In the wilderness, God was going to, to take however long it would take. It seems to have taken 40 years. But God was going to get Egypt out of them and keep the promise inside of this, his people. And so God is going to, to not only give time as opportunity to do that, but he's going to give 10 words or, or 10 commands that are going to help lead and guide his people to be who God believes that they are. Now, if you remember, as we were, were working through this, God, uh, as they get to the base of Mount Sinai, God begins to speak to them audibly. That, that it's got to be a magnificent sight. That in that moment, it sounds like peals of thunder as God is speaking to them. And the people are absolutely terrified at what they are hearing. Even so much so that after the commands are given, the people look back at Moses and say, you go talk to God on our behalf. Tell us what he says. Please don't ever let that happen again. I, I don't know what that had to be like, but it had to be absolutely awe-inspiring in, in some of the most terrifying of ways. But God is speaking to his people to help them remember some things. Number one, to help them to remember that even though they had just spent 400 years of being slaves, they are no longer slaves. That, that's the, the first thing he is communicating to them. Number two, that even though they are leaving Egypt, going towards a land that they have not yet received, they're not fugitives on a run. But instead, he gives them a very clear identity and a very clear mission. And that mission is twofold. It's number one, they are a kingdom of priests. We, we get that in, in Exodus chapter 19 as we, we see God speaking to his people. You are a kingdom of peace, 
uh, priest. You are going to be my representation to the world that I am sending you out in. But then there's the second part of that identity and a second part of that mission. God tells his people that they are to be a holy nation. A nation like the world has never seen. The, the word holy literally is something that is going to be set apart and different. That whoever they come in contact with, wherever they go, these people should be so unique that people would ask the question, what's going on? And in that moment, they get a chance to respond. We belong to Yahweh. We, we belong to the one and true God. They are a kingdom of priests and they are a holy nation. So God gives them these commands to to minister well in his name. And it's just by way of reminder, just so you, you can hear him again. The first command they received was, you shall have no other gods. The second, no carved images. The third, do not take the Lord's name in vain. The fourth, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. And today we get to number eight, which is do not steal. Now the Hebrew here is two words, and it is in plain view, and it's much like the other prohibitions that we've received so far in these commandments, right? So, so the, the two Hebrew words that we're going to look at, it's always fun to learn a new word. Uh, as we've learned, no in Hebrew is lo, L-O, if you were going to, to transliterate that. So lo ganav, ganav is stealing. So the, the literal translation, the literal prohibition is no stealing. But what we are going to see about this prohibition uh, is we are going to see that it is an incredibly open-ended, almost as if it were to say, lo, ganav, dot, dot, dot. No stealing anything. No stealing ever. So, so in many ways, just like, just like we do today, the people more than likely would come back and speak to Moses or speak to the priest and, and begin to ask questions. Well, is it really stealing if, or would it be counted as stealing if I, and so God kind of lets it be as clear as it possibly can be, no stealing ever, right? And, and if you needed a definition to kind of help your mind wrap around that prohibition, let, let's see if this will work, okay? This, this comes from a commentator. We don't, we don't get this from Scripture, but I do think it works and it fits, right? Don't take what doesn't belong to you without permission. Don't take what doesn't belong to you without permission. That seems like a good working definition as we are traveling this command, this, this low ganav. What, what is it that we look at in this world that, that we don't already have, that hasn't been given permission to us to take, that if we were to take that thing, then it would be considered to break this command. It would be considered stealing. This definition is open-ended and broad for a reason. We can attempt, just like we always do, to what if it to death. But the heart of this prohibition, listen, church, as a representative and a priest of God, which is all of God's people, okay? So, so remember that before they got the commands, before they got the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. God says to them, they are a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They're to be set apart and different from everybody else. So before that they get these words, they get that command, and now as representatives and priests of God, there is no reason, nor is there an ex, uh, exception for us to take what is not ours without permission. At its core, stealing is the opposite of God's character and the opposite of God's practice. 
I want to say that one more time. At its core, stealing is the opposite of God's character and the opposite of God's practice. So church, it should be the opposite of our character and the opposite of our practice as people who now belong to Him. When we steal, this is what we do. This is is the message we proclaim to the world about our good and gracious God. When we steal God's children, when we steal food, It takes provision from somebody who is selling that food or food from the person who had it before you stole it. Just just think think through the implications of stealing. Now, again, I know if you are like me, you begin to what if this, but what if I'm hungry and they have enough? What what if I'm stealing from a store and they're not going to miss it? God says don't steal. Because before God gives the commands of any prohibition, what he tells his people is, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you everything that you, listen to me, need. When we steal, we say that God is a liar. We, we say, we say he's a liar, that his provision is not true, that his promises are not real. When we steal clothes, it takes the provision from the seller and potentially clothes from the buyer. And I know we never think of it this way, but just think, if if somebody steals clothing, somebody steals a jacket, that at some point, somebody who could have had that jacket when they were cold isn't going to have that jacket when they are cold. Same, Same for pants, same for a shirt. When we steal money, It takes money from somebody else who earned it, stealing their time and their resources. It took them hours to make that money. It may have taken them a lifetime to create a craft to make that money. And then when someone comes and steals it, it's not just a dollar that they take, it takes life from them. And church, when we steal dignity, It literally steals life from people. And as bad as this would be for for us to do this to anyone, it is especially bad for those who are of the household of faith. For in the household of faith, unity and faithfulness should be the hallmarks of our family. And when I say family, I mean the big C church around the world, that as believers, how we act and react and interact with those that are around us to steal is to not act like our father in heaven, but to act like the enemy who is in this world today. The enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. God does not come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so when we come and we break this command, when we, when we break this prohibition and, and we steal anything as it were, we are not acting like our Father in heaven. We are acting like the enemy and his minions. So when, when we understand rightly that God says, before the commands are given, you're going to be a royal priesthood, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, and you are going to be a holy nation, then he gives these, these lists of here's what you should do and here's the things you should stay away from. It's not God keeping life from you that you in other ways could have. God is keeping you on the mission that he's trusted to you. That when we live our life for God's glory, it is the most life that we have ever experienced. Think about it with me. 
Have you ever been like, I know we're used by God every day, so this illustration is going to break down pretty quickly, but just think with me, if you will. Have you ever been surprisingly used by God? Like all of a sudden you're going about your normal, ordinary, every, like every other day, day, and then all of a sudden something happens and you have an opportunity to serve somebody in Jesus' name. Maybe you have an encouraging word in your heart that comes out of your mouth that you didn't know lived there until the moment that you needed it. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had a moment where somebody was in desperate need and you didn't know what to do and all of a sudden you open your mouth and scripture just flows out of your mouth and you're like, I have no clue where that came from. Isn't that awesome? That's what it is to be of the family of God. Because God speaks life, God gives life, God shows up when times are hard. What the enemy does is he comes in when times are the worst and he kicks you while you're down. When you least expect it, he comes in and he steals life from you and he steals what you've worked hard for. That's what the enemy does. And so in this prohibition, God is saying, you don't do this because that's not the team you're on. That's not the master you serve. That's not the goal of the kingdom of God. Church, if we're going to be a united family of faith, like we say that we are, at Broadmoor and the Big C Church around the world, stealing is a surefire way to destroy that unity that Christ has established. Just, just think with me, if you will. I know each one of these commands have been hard on some level, whether, whether you were a part of it or you were the recipient of someone hurting you in this way. I can't imagine a worse feeling than somebody who breaks in and steals your stuff. And if you've ever experienced that, you know the pain of that. Because it's not about the stuff. It's not, I have this water bottle and this water bottle's gone. Like, like it's not about the stuff. It's about the fact that there was something sacred, something that our stuff was in a safe place, our place, our stuff, in our home. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes in and they take it out and you feel violated on 10 different levels. God's people ought not be part of that. God's people shouldn't be 10 feet from that. God's people aren't about taking or stealing or killing or destroying. God's people should be about loving, giving, sharing, and encouraging. So just just for a moment, let's let's pause and, and take a breath. These commands can seem weighty when you read them. But when you apply them, they can be unrelenting. So, if you would, just for a moment, okay? Because as open-ended as this is, here's what it tells me. That everybody in this room, including me, especially me, is guilty of breaking this command. Okay? Maybe, Maybe it was who you used to be. Maybe it was the definition of who you were decades ago, and by God's grace, you're different now. But maybe, and probably, there are folks here today that this is true of you now. As you sit in these very seats in this very room this very day. And so, as always, maybe, maybe you knew this one was coming, and maybe you're watching online from a distance. Hey. But maybe you didn't read the email and you didn't know what was coming today. And you're like, oh boy, what do we do? 
Let me tell you, Jesus changes everything. Jesus can change everything. He will change everything. And here would be my encouragement to you. If you find yourself here today, and this is part of your story, that you can't help, you know, you know inside that I should not be a taker, yet I am. You know you shouldn't be a swindler, yet here you are. What do you, what do, you do? The, the, the Scripture's gracefully clear. Repent of that sinfulness. Repent of that sinfulness and rest in the grace of Christ. That, that's, that's the call that we get. It's, it's, not a, it's not a just, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I got caught, I'll do better next time. Repentance is a word that is an acknowledgement of a law broken and a sin committed and a change in, of course of life. So it's a, it's a turning, as if we were walking this way. If this were the, the way of God, the will of God, and we were walking this way, and all of a sudden we find ourselves walking to the left or to the right or to the back of it, and then all of a sudden the Spirit and His grace convicts us, what do we do with that? Well, a couple of things. Number one, you can hide. That's not going to be helpful, I promise. You, you can act like that's not who you are. Put on the Sunday school face and act like it's okay. That's a cancer that's growing in you, and it's going to kill you. Or you can take what is in the darkness and bring it to the light. And you pause from that wayward direction, wherever the Spirit of the Lord finds you in His grace. You pause there and you confess that sin to the Father. And you say, Father, I am fallen or I have fallen again or I have fallen for the thousandth time. Help me, God. And from there you turn. So if you were doing that thing, this is novel, hear me out. Stop doing that thing. If you know it's wrong, stop. And turn back to the way of God. That, that's what the scriptures teach us and tell us. Let, let, me, let me show you um, what the Lord does for us today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be on the screen, and, and I know we're going to Bible drill from here on out. Are you ready? Let's see who's good. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If, if you're not super great at Bible drills, you can always have your phone. That goes fast. Or the table of contents are really helpful too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16 and following. The Apostle Paul writes this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. The ESV is kind of a strange translation there. Essentially, it is this. We, as God's people, we aren't to look at people for what they have done or what they look like or or, or another way to hear that. We, We don't judge a book by its cover. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, listen to these words, church. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. So, so hear me out. Not only in Christ is our past forgiven, or our sins atoned for, but God in his grace brings us in and gives us a new identity and a new mission. The very thing that God did with his people in Exodus 19. 
That they are to be a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And sin mars that. And Jesus came and he took the sin and he erased it and gave us a new life. And I know sometimes we can get into the philo- uh, philosophical idea of, of what does it mean to be a new man or a new woman and, and when does that take place and is it complete right now? Hear me out. What this speaks to, that if you are in Christ now, you are a new creation now. Your past is not your present. Your present doesn't have to be your future. God changes us. Even if, even if we have walked through these Ten Commandments and we have found ourselves lacking in every single one, God is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he gives us a new job as ministers of reconciliation. Verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, that's great news. It may feel wordy, but, but here, here it is maybe for, for us to hear plainly. We were dead in our sin, and there was no way out. Like the, those commands who stood before us, they stood for, before us as a way to get, to get the slavery out of God's people and to keep the promise in God's people. It stood as a way to, to help them understand their mission and call, but sin in our life has, has taken over so much that we have become so blinded to God and His will for our life that in ourselves we can't do it, we can't fix it, we can't change it. That's why, maybe, maybe you're new here, and so let me, let me explain something we say quite often. That's why trying harder to be better will never fix you. Like you can hear something like this, and you skip over the Jesus piece, you skip over the repentance piece, you skip over the trusting Jesus with your life piece, and you say, I hear I shouldn't do that, therefore I'm going to stop doing that. And, and I hear that, that's, I, I really think that's, that's kind of you to say. But how many times so far in your life have you realized a wrong and in your own fleshly strength decided, even, even said, I'm going I'm to plant a stake down in the ground. I'm never going to do this again. How'd that go? Pick your sin. How'd it go? I'm ne- I hate it. I hate that I do that. I can't stand that I was a part of that. Never doing it again. How'd it go? We can't fix ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. Until the heart is changed, the symptoms will remain the same. And so as you find yourself here today, and we are continuing to journey towards the end of these Ten Commandments, hopefully what you're going to find, the reason that we have scales as the picture of our series branding, it is this, that these are going to show that what God requires, we can't give, ever. So what do we do? Paul says, for those who are believers, our message to the whole world is be reconciled to Christ as fast as you can. 
Be reconciled to Christ as fast as you can. Trust Jesus. He can change you. In Christ, we are not who we were. Jesus made sure of that. What we did is not what we are known for today. Jesus did that. Our past and our present, maybe, maybe even right here, may be incredibly sorted. But in Christ going forward, you have a new identity. You aren't your mistakes. You aren't your addiction. You are a child of God. You have a new mission. You are an ambassador for Christ. So, how do we live out this new life and this new mission? This is what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Shouldn't be too far from where you are. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. This is what Paul says. Not necessarily speaking about the Ten Commandments, but speaking about the life lived for Christ. Ephesians 4, 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All right, church. Who you were is not who you are today. And this is true. This is, this is gospel truth, but only, all right, this is, this is where it's going to get important because sometimes we get into the philosophy of, of that statement. We say, well, then, then that should mean I'm fine. That should mean I don't have to worry about anything. If Jesus took care of everything, then I don't have anything to worry about today. Hear me out. Those words are absolutely true, but only, only, this is 100% conditional, if you walk surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience to His will and His Word. Okay, I I want to say that again. The gospel is true. You are not who you were. There's grace to cover a multitude. Multitude not meaning there's an end, meaning there's no end to your sins. But as you walk forward, it is completely conditional. This power that we walk in, it's conditional on your surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that you wake up in the morning and you get saved again. That's not how it works. But if Jesus is Lord of your life, he's got to be Lord every day. That we wake up in the morning and we say to him again, with our broken nature still in full view, and we say to him, Lord, again, I lay my life down. It is yours. You know my struggles. You know my pains. You know my strengths. Use me today, Lord. So, don't do the old way of life things. Don't steal. Instead, work hard. Honest work with your own hands. The goal here is to work so hard that you have enough that you will have something to share with anyone as they are in need. Do you guys remember John Wesley? John John Wesley is the famous uh, Church of England pastor. Um, who was credited for, for starting Methodism or the Methodist denomination. Here's what he said. Work as hard as you can to make as much as you can, to save as much as you can, to give away as much as you can. So that was from his famous sermon, The Use of Money. It's an incredible sermon if you want to go back and, and see the transcript of it. It's, it's absolutely incredible. 
the, the purpose here, if we are God's representatives, God's, God is a giver, not a taker. So we should be givers and not takers. The Apostle Paul also said this, kind of as a way of warning, all right? Are you ready to Bible drill again? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. We'll be in verses 9 through 11 here. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I know those two verses have been used to hurt people. For, for some people to stand behind them as if all of Scripture isn't to be gracious or graceful. And they've used that to hurt other people who may have a hang-up or a sin or a struggle, and they, they hit that over the head. Because they pick one or two words out of there and they focus on that. If you could, just for, just for a moment, take a step back from those few words that you see. More than likely, it's going to be words that you don't struggle with, but others do. And then come back to the text and read it again. And what you'll find, it's not an exhaustive list, but it is an enough of a list to show you everybody fits in here. The point that Paul makes as a word of warning if you are unrighteous, you, you're not getting in the kingdom. And your righteousness isn't necessarily about what you do, but it's about who you trust. And so in our search for righteousness, there's a part of us who could say, try harder to be better. Josh, I just heard you say, God's, God's word is conditional in the sense that unless we are daily surrendered to Jesus, then that doesn't apply. No, no, hear me out. If Jesus isn't Lord of your life, then what's he Lord of? I've heard it said this way. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so as we, we come to this and, and we begin to, to sort out, maybe, maybe the conviction is unbearable at this moment because you find that you are a swindler. I, I love the fact that, that the Apostle Paul uses that here, that, 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 that meaning here, as opposed to stealer because stealer could be, well, I was hungry, so I stole a loaf of bread and that puts me in that category. Paul says it's much more sinister than that. Swindlers potentially are business dealers. People where there's a lot of gray area, or at least we can make it seem to be. But here's what we know. We generally know what we're doing when we make those deals. When we put together things. And we may say, well, they should have read the fine print. They should have had a better lawyer. They should have. They should have. No, Christian, you should have. You take care of God's people because you are God's people. 
before you are a business person, before you are an attorney, before you are a pastor, before you are a mom, before you are a dad, before you are a student, you are a child of God. Do not steal. This is a way of warning that if we serve the other master, we belong to that master. We do not belong to him. We do not belong to the enemy of this world. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I could go back, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, continuing. It gets better, I promise. Verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. As our worship team comes back up and we move into our time of response, I want you to hear this. These things may have been true of us, but because of Jesus, for those who have surrendered to him and repented of that sin, that's not who we are today. How did Jesus change us? Well, he washed us. He sanctified us. He justified us, according to the Apostle Paul. Christian, these things are already true and finished in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So back to the text, for the person that belongs to God And is in his family, there is no reason for us to steal. For God has given us everything that we need. One last verse, if I could. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. That's towards the end of your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. His divine power, that's God. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through him the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Focus on verse 3. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have this conversation quite often with our kids. You may not have everything you want, but you do have everything you need. Hey, Christian, that shouldn't just be a conversation that we as parents give to our kids. That should be a truth we remember between our Father in heaven and us. We may not have everything we want, and I know, I know even where we live, this place is awesome, guys. Like having lived in other places of Mississippi, been around the world a couple of times, Madison, Mississippi is unbelievably amazing. But it is also an incredible trap that the enemy can use to make you continue to want things and never be satisfied with what God has trusted to you. Don't bite that bait. Because the thing you do when you do bite that bait That's where stealing begins to grow in your heart. When you're not content, you begin to look at others and what they have. More to that command in a few weeks. But as it stands now, we see God's word being incredibly clear. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'll quickly read the rest of this passage. I think it is applicable for us. Verse 5 and following. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, 
Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling in election. For if, you're, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Practice your faith. Put it into practice. Do what God's word tells you to do. Back to those moments where you you feel so alive and so used by God in the greatest of ways when, when you speak life to people, when you bless people, when you have enough and they don't have enough and you find a way to get your more than enough into, to, into their hands where they don't have enough and you see that and you say, God, I feel so good for being able to, to do that. It's because you are practicing your faith. If you don't practice your faith, And it says that's where sin begins to creep in. The Christian life is an active life, church. It should not be lived in philosophical ideas or discussion questions. Your faith should be lived out every single day. Wake up in the morning and ask God, God, what do you have for me today? Who am I going to bless today? Who's going to bless me today? God, here's what I have. Use it. Here's what I need. I receive it. God, here I am. That's an awesome life to live. But instead, too often, we find ourselves waking up, trying to cover up all the sin and all the shame, put on the mask, walk out. We never let anybody in. We try to keep everybody away. We try to, hear me out, we try to think, and I know why this is tough because I fight it as well. We think Christianity is only about us giving away. But if I could encourage you, it's also about you receiving as well. But you can't receive unless you tell people what you need. That's how we get to practice with one another. We don't have the time, but if you wanted to, go back and read Acts 2. When the Holy Spirit got a hold of people, the church was born and the calling card of the church is all those who had what they needed... They sold stuff that they had excess for so that those in need would no longer be in need so everybody could focus on the kingdom mission at hand. They practiced their faith. They gathered faithfully for worship. They studied, they prayed, they fasted, they celebrated, they ate. They confessed sin to one another. And what happened? God added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the command this morning, no stealing when we steal we say to the world that God is not enough that he makes big promises but he can't keep them when we steal we say to the world that God is a taker or a swindler and a destroyer he may give but it's only going to be for a short time and when you least expect it he's going to take it away 
And of course, that's not who God is, nor is that what he does. So church, this isn't to be who we are, nor is it to be what we do. So this morning, let us bring our brokenness to Jesus and allow him to redeem it and to restore us for his glory and for our good. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you. And I thank you for today. Thank you for the gift and the treasure of your word. Thank you for opportunities for repentance until we have no more breath in our body. Help us, God. You have trusted to us incredible things. Life, family, work, calling, mission. In ourselves, Father, we know we will never be faithful, but you will continue to be. So Lord, we come this morning and we surrender it all to you. We trust you with it and we ask, God, that you would do whatever you see fit. If this is where we are today, call us away from it. Let us not be thieves. Let us not work for the enemy. If we have been or we are currently, Lord, break our hearts of it. Let us confess that sin to you and be forgiven and to one another and be healed. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?